You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. How you doing? That was really buttery. Thanks. Dare I say. I'm working on the uh, the butter quotient. (laughs) (laughs) Walk into Ethan's house. Ethan, why are you shoving a stick of butter down your mouth? I'm preparing for the podcast. podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Worry about it. Isn't there a movie that I definitely did not watch because I really don't (laughs) care about the plot? But there's something about like a butter sculpture. Isn't there a movie like that? Butter sculpture. It's like a very like country (laughs) contest, sort of like county fair sort of thing. And there's a there's a contest where they're making a sculpture out of butter. I can believe that it's definitely something I don't want to watch. Yeah, I'm very disinterested in this, but I've merely thought of it. It's my only butter anecdote. There's a movie I don't know about. The one doesn't have many butter anecdotes. Yeah, I could believe such a film exists, but yeah. I've never watched such a film personally or I'm not, not aware of it. Not I planning on it either. <laughs> but I can believe that. I can yeah. believe that. Mm. That would be the weird kind of... I feel like Jim Gaffigan would star in that movie. Well, I might watch it if he's in it. Yeah. He's in that some interesting choices. The... You know, he appears. I'm like, I don't. I might not care about the film, but I do enjoy him. Yeah, he is always yeah very funny. Yes, always plays really unique characters. He's, he's actually in a non-funny role. It would be great if I could remember the name of the film. Is it the one about the Kennedys? You're talking about Chappaquiddick? Yeah, I saw that. That was fun. He was in that, right? I think so. Playing but a serious role. I'm actually thinking about one where it's like in something that might as well be Appalachia, and there's like um kind of like a faith healer, snake poison type of guy. You know, like that brand of mm-hmm. yep. charlatan. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> who like definitely has like the town in his grip. It's that sort yep. of thing, and he's like the father of a girl who was like going through a time. Oh uh, yes. And uh I don't I don't remember the name of boy do I remember the poster. Anyway, <laughs> he's not funny in it. He's just like a serious character. Mm. Well how yeah. about that? Old Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. <sighs> People being serious. <laughs> what a thing. I know. You know what else is serious? <laughs> Books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're oftentimes very serious. Unless they're not. There are books that aren't serious. Yeah. I suppose there's comedy. There's a comedy genre in in books and literature. I'm just very unfamiliar. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, well, I don't typically read those. Yeah, right. This is just me in movies. I'm like, are you sure there's humor in film? Are you sure about that? I don't don't know. I think there's just sadness and sincerity. (laughs) Trademark. (laughs) Ethan's ingredients in film. Sadness and sincerity. (laughs) Humor? No, there's uh, none of that. Yeah, none of that. It's a myth. Oh, well, it has nothing to do with butter, but <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about another Christian classic today. Yeah. Christian classics. Mm. Trademark that. Number two. Maybe two. Yes. Yeah. Number two. Yeah, in our last episode, we looked at Augustine's Confessions. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to that yet, you can go back and listen. And those were written in the fourth slash fifth century. And now we are going to jump ahead. Pretty far, actually. Yeah. Like jumping a millennium to the 15th century. Whoa, okay. Yeah, I know. That kind of seems out of order, chronologically speaking, because we'll be back in the third and fourth century. We're taking a tour, round trip. Really, we are. It's its own little thing we're doing here. But uh, yeah, we're going uh, to the 15th century to take a brief look at another much beloved classic. But before we do, Mm -hmm. here's an interesting note that I think will segue us into this particular book. Okay. So the most distributed slash popular book in the world is the Bible. Mm. That's pretty undisputed. I've heard of that. Guinness World Records is like, there's probably over 5 billion Bibles that have Lots. been distributed. Of course, Gideon's history. 
really came in strong. They did. They did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have that. However, you'll hear a lot of people say that John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is the second best-selling slash distributed book. Mm. And that's often what will come up. Like, what's the next best book after the Bible? Oh, Pilgrim's mm. Progress. <laughs> like he said, next best book. Well, that's, you know, really depending on who you ask. You know what I mean? Yes, that's the most distributed. But depending on who you actually ask and how you tabulate it, the actual silver medal goes to Thomas Akempis's The Imitation of Christ. Oh. Which is the book we'll be uh, traipsing through. Which, by the way, just so I'm clear on this, it's actually really difficult to 100% accurately ascertain which of those two is actually, quote-unquote, outsold the other. Mm. But I still think that's an interesting tidbit. It is. And I gotta be honest, kind of happy to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, no shade, but... Um, <laughs> I often return to <laughs> Tolkien's criticism of allegory, and I and I whisper it to myself like a Catholic reciting of the Hail Mary. <laughs> so, so to hear something else is in second place. I'm like, all right, let's talk about it. <laughs> oh yeah, that was uh, yeah, Tolkien. He he may have had conniptions if he if he read. I think he would. Progress. <laughs> So Thomas Akempis was a monastic priest of whom relatively little is known. Hmm. Uh, we do know he was certainly an avid copyist, which was monumental in an age which didn't yet have the printing press, so yeah. pretty big commodity. I believe the current thinking is that he copied the whole Bible no fewer than five times. Oh. Yeah, beginning to end. See, I get, like, dramatically bored when I'm just scanning copies on a printer. Like, <laughs> three minutes in, and I'm feeling persecuted. I can't deal with it. Oh, yeah. And can you imagine, like, they weren't just copying. You know what I mean? Mm. They were, like, doing that fancy, yeah. I guess it's calligraphy. I don't know. But where they, they had the fancy, you know, like the first letter of. Yeah. There's, like, a higher art of penmanship going yeah. on here. Yeah. So mm. it's not just like, well, let me just write this down wasn't real a quick. wasn't a ballpoint. No. <laughs> I mean, to even write would be challenging. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. And I'm, like, just scanning papers and I'm done. <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, at any rate, Thomas is not at all like Augustine in that when you read The Imitation of Christ, you aren't really getting a peek at the man behind the monograph, you okay. know? Ooh, he's, I like how you said that. Yeah, you like that little, little flavor. But, uh, yeah, he's not really, he's not concerned about himself at all. Yeah. In fact, there was a dispute for a time in scholarship about whether he had actually written it. Whoa, okay. They ended up going back later and mm. finding autographs that had his name on it. That's and, how you know you're famous, when people are like, you didn't even do it. Yeah, that's really... That's the test yeah. right there. So, yeah, that being said, The Imitation, as it's shortened, it's been massively influential and is a gorgeous piece of work when you read through it. For example, on the positive side, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said that this book was highly influential in his own conversion. Oh, wow. On the other side of that, Frederick Nietzsche allegedly said he couldn't hold the book without a physiological reaction, <laughs> like his hand shaking That's, when we're reading it's it. It's just you know? me an allegory right there. <laughs> Shaking. <laughs> I can't handle this. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, so it's been hugely influential on Catholics, Protestants, Christians of all shapes and sizes and, and traditions. You know, like I said, shapes and sizes. I did. I like that. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I guess that'll make more sense when we come back and talk uh, about Thomas Aquinas later, uh, but that's for later. So, massively influential book, which has kind of begged the question, and I'd forgotten about this until I was rereading the book mm -hmm. in uh, preparation for this and looking at some stuff. People will often ask, if he's so influential, why hasn't he been canonized by the Catholic Church? Because yeah. Thomas Aquinas was a Catholic, did all this great stuff. Why haven't they made him a saint? Sure. Interestingly, this is legendary, so it's not been 100% verified, but... 
apparently the reason he hasn't been canonized is because when they exhumed his body after like a hundred years, they found scratch marks on the inside of his coffin. Oh, what? Which would indicate that, of course, he was accidentally buried alive. Yeah, buried prematurely. And that, uh, of course, he had been trying to get out. And the reasoning behind not canonizing him then is that he was not resigned to his fate with a sincere and serene trust. In God, so they won't get. Oh my him. word! It's his fault. You tried to survive. You're not a saint. If you were a saint, you would have just laid there and died on your own. Oh my word! That's wild. Oh yeah. So again, I will. I will stress the perhaps not legendary is the right word, but we can't 100 percent verify apocryphal. That. But yeah, apocryphal is a great word for that. I you would um, think with their saint-like material because it wasn't quite one. Never will be now. <laughs> Um, but you would think with people in that position, they would use the old bell trick. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So that if you stir in your potentially permanent residence, yeah. then the bell rings. I'm like, oh, we better get to digging. Yep, I better get him out. But, but no, no, no. Yeah. Not on this Catholic soil. <laughs> so anyway, so that's another, that's wow. an interesting tidbit about our, our friend Thomas here. So all in all, when you get to the book itself, the imitation... It's rather straightforward and simple. If you pick up a modern translation, you really shouldn't have any difficulty with it at all. Hmm. He is not getting into abstruse philosophical concepts or deep theological thinking. It's really a book of Christian piety and devotion. You don't have to be a scholar or an academic. No. In fact, Thomas came out of a... I forget the name of it, but there was a movement in Catholicism at the time he was alive and he became a member of it that was really concerned with practical piety and holiness. And he came out of that tradition. So very much concerned with the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. So the imitation is divided into four large-ish sections. Uh, The first two really deal with the interior life of the believer. So how you're living out your faith and how that affects your interior life. And then the second two are written in the form of a dialogue between Thomas and Christ, which really? is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like how you said interesting. Yeah, um, all I'll say about that is listen to our recent podcast on hearing the voice of Christ to get a little more on, <laughs> on that particular topic. So we won't, we won't delve into that too much, right. but yeah. Well, okay, so you said... They're, they're, you know, they're large sections, but you also said it's simple, yeah, even straightforward. Funny. Yeah. Um, so I, I had to look this up yeah. while we were talking, while you were talking, I was looking up. Um, it's less than 300 pages, at least by yeah. some editions. So we're not talking tomes here for the, no. for the page adverse among us. Mm-hmm. Maybe like myself. Um, <laughs> so this should maybe even be a faster read than the confessions. Yes, yes. And even the chapters themselves within the sections, some of them are no longer than a page. Oh, dang. Yeah, they're very short. Like wow. you could just, you could almost pick this book up and read it as a supplement to your Bible reading or morning devotion. Yeah. Like just like, I'll read a page and you would be well on your way hmm. to getting through it if you did that. So um, just to kind of give you a feel through, if you do pick this up and you do want to read it, which again, we recommend, just a brief map to kind of give you a sense of where you'll be going in the book. Thomas is very concerned in section one and two about inwardly cultivating the virtuous life of faith. So uh, here's a sampling of what he says in chapter one to give you a flavor of his teaching. What good does it do to speak learnedly about the Trinity if, lacking humility, you displease the Trinity? (laughs) Indeed, it is not learning that makes a man holy and just, but a virtuous life makes him pleasing to God. I would rather feel contrition than know how to define it. That's amazing. Yeah. mm -hmm. For what would it profit us to know the whole Bible by heart and the principles of all the philosophers if we live without grace and the love of God? Vanity of vanities and all is vanity except to love God and serve him alone. So you can see right away that Tom 
Thomas has no patience for a learned mind apart from a loving heart. (laughs) And he did come out of a time in medieval scholasticism Mm -hmm. when that was a real issue you would have to deal with. I mean, you had, I've already mentioned Thomas Aquinas, but the greatest scholastic theologian slash philosopher who's probably ever lived, Thomas Aquinas, was at the height of his powers in the 1200s, just a couple centuries before Thomas was writing this. Mm. So you have that whole tradition where people are very, very learned, can speak Mm. very fluently in a lot of deep concepts, but you're kind of getting a precursor here. I mean, this is shortly before Martin Luther will come along and spark the Protestant Reformation. Mm. So he's kind of, you know, probably seeing some of that stuff. I do think it's interesting when you take a look back at like this broad historic context and you start mm-hmm. to see like the ebb and flow of the scholasticism. They're yep. going to be terms I'm not super familiar with. No, yeah, you're just good. things I've heard a little bit. Yep. And the kind of push against that, uh-huh. the kind of railing against academia. Yeah. And honestly, like a rejection of it. Like you yep. get into these like extreme camps. You do. But after one, you find the other. I mean, mm-hmm. this is true in a lot of things. This is true in like art movements and so forth. Neither extreme is like terribly helpful. No, right? no, no you, it's not. They're both, both of these things are so valuable. Yes. And it's like obviously where he's writing, the place he's writing from is is not a denial of right. either one, which is like you said, it kind of does thread a needle in, in, in navigating the value but also the cautionary tale of just mm-hmm. because you know about this does not mean you are absolved of its uh, participation and exercise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's where I think he does get the emphasis right in his context especially, is that he's focusing in on the practice that ought to flow from such knowledge. So, you know, again, he's not saying you shouldn't be able to speak learnedly about the Trinity. Yeah. You're just saying, like, if you displease him, at the same time you can speak learnedly about him, what's the point mm-hmm. of doing that? What would be the point of being able to parse the word repentance if you don't actually repent, right? <laughs> like, that just, you have all that stuff going on, and the scholastic movement of his day and age in particular was very good at being able to mm. uh, really define these terms and really get into the nuts and bolts of these things, yeah. but you would have all these abuses that were happening. They that, would do all this you know, from their high tower. Yeah, exactly. Literally, in many cases, yeah. you know what I mean? So you have that going on. And then, I mean, he really is, I think, in his own way, echoing what Jesus said in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, yet it is they that testify about me, but you do not come to me that you may have life. So he's really concerned about that in sections one and two. Mm. So he is, is he addressing the audience very specifically about this or is he kind of talking in a vacuum? I don't mean that derisively, but... No, no, no. It's interesting you bring that up. If I remember correctly, he actually originally presented what became the book, The Imitation of Christ. It was originally his instruction to the novices in his monastery. Okay. So he was trying to get them to cultivate this inner life when perhaps they may have come in thinking, we're going to be all scholastic here. You know, we're going to yeah. be really theologically right. okay. minded. And he's saying, well, let's, you know, again, we're here to try to cultivate some piety here. So like, let's not, you know, let's not neglect. neglect. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the kind of inward reality that Thomas wants to cultivate in these first two sections, like pious, godly life uh, above and beyond a merely learned one. And uh, let me just give you another example of this that demonstrates this because um, it's one of my favorite parts of this book. And it's, it's a favorite of many who read it that you'll, you'll find this in a lot of, if you look at like the highlights of this book, you'll you'll see this show up a lot. So um, it's from the end of the 25th chapter in section one. One day when a certain man who wavered often and anxiously between hope and fear was struck with sadness, he knelt in humble prayer before the altar of a church. While meditating on these things, he said, oh, if I but knew whether I should persevere to the end. Instantly, he heard within the divine answer. If you knew this, what would you do? Do now what you would do then, 
and you will be quite secure. Immediately consoled and comforted, he resigned himself to the divine will, and the anxious uncertainty ceased. Hmm. So uh, that's a very practical kind of pastoral thing that a lot of people deal with. Like, I don't know, like, am I going to be preserved to the end? Like, is God going to keep me? Will my faith survive my life, my trials? And um, that's a very interesting flip to say, well, if you knew that you were going to persevere, what would you do? Yeah. Now go do that. Yeah. And uh, I, just, I think that's wonderful. And you'll find all kinds of things like that throughout these first two sections of the imitation. Now, when you get to the last two sections, because I know most of our, our listeners are coming from an um, evangelical mm. uh, Protestant perspective. Mm-hmm. I know we do have a handful of uh, folks who came out of the Catholic Church listening, so holler to all of you. Love you. But uh, in the last two sections, uh, Thomas's mystic Catholicism does become a bit heavy-handed. Uh, um, kind, <laughs> when, kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. <laughs> um, it is. And I think there's a sense in which some of the strangeness for an evangelical, it would be good for you to read. Like sure. it'll be It'll be a healthy exercise but especially section four i just say this is in a you know don't read it with a discerning eye is what i'm saying because section four in particular is mostly about the sacrament of communion or supper Uh, you can see what's happening here. yeah yeah so um you know thomas is a good roman catholic all right so he'll say things like we ought to receive with affectionate reverence the body of our redeemer in this sacrament, which, by the way, I'm fine with saying something like that as a Protestant. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus, when he was consecrating the bread at the Last Supper, he said, take, eat, this is my body. Mm-hmm. I have no problem saying that. Just so long as you don't specifically mean transubstantiation when you say that. that <laughs> right. the, the, the element literally becomes the physical body of Christ, which is no doubt what Thomas means, because he's, he's yeah. a good Catholic, and the Catholics believe that. So, you know what I mean? You just you just gotta, you gotta take that as it is and understand that going into it. Exactly. You get into a lot of that in sections three and four. Now, at the same time, however, I don't want you going in thinking like, I'm just going to throw everything in sections three or four out, or I'm just not going to read it. Oh, right. Because at the same time, you get into those sections and they'll also say things like, but understand that you cannot by any merit of your own make preparation for receiving communion well enough, though you'd spend a year in doing it and think of nothing else. It is only by, and this is one of those moments where he has Christ speaking to him, it is only by my goodness and grace that you are allowed to approach my table, as though a beggar were invited to dinner by a rich man, and he had nothing to offer in return for the gift but to humble himself and give thanks. Mm. That is so helpful. Yeah, it's a really helpful encouragement. Yeah, it really is, because I think, again, another pastoral problem that really, it's not an exaggeration, it breaks my heart when people talk to me about this, and this does happen more often than you might think. They'll like come to me like, I don't know if I should come receive communion because mm. I'm just so aware of my own sinfulness. Yeah. And there is a place, I think, if like, you're not repenting, you know, like if you're not like seeking, but that's exactly the thing is like, these people are, they're you know, they're, they're like, they recognize the sin, exactly. they're confessing and they're battling it. And point is, is like, if you're, if you're thinking strictly in those terms, like, of course, like no one is worthy mm. of receiving uh, the body and blood of Christ. That's <laughs> well, part of the point. Yeah. Let me know when you get there. Yeah. Right? And that's, and so Thomas, I think is very helpful to us in that regard in saying something like that. Like, this is a gift. Like, Christ wants you to come to the table, Mm. to be strengthened in that grace. Um, That's very pastoral. So, all of that to say, if you approach this book with a discerning eye, it can greatly nourish your soul, and it can move you toward greater piety and holiness and love toward God. It's it's a book I think that'll be highly commended, and there's a reason it's considered a classic, and uh, why it probably is the second best <laughs> selling slash distributed book of all time. Yeah, it's um, pretty remarkable. So it's uh, certainly a work that gets to the heart of things, and for that reason, even the most evangelical of Protestants uh, should be able to enjoy it and profit from it. Yeah. Um, I know that I certainly have, and a number of people have. So uh, 
there you have it. Highly recommended. If you want to pick up a copy, you should go uh, go get it. So very nice. That's the Imitation of Christ by mm. Thomas Akempis. So thank you as always for listening. Hope this little overview uh, will spur you to read that and be a helpful guide as you get into it. Uh, if you have any questions about this book or you want us to look at any others that you might consider a classic, you can email us as always at podcast at horizonschurch.net or you can interact with us on social media. And if you found this content helpful and you want to leave us an honest five star review, the iTunes Store. Apple Podcasts, yeah, whatever yeah. it's called these days. I, I can't keep track. Know, I listen hey. to my podcasts on Overcast. Me so, too. And there's no they rating. they don't have a rating system. Yeah, they don't have a rating system but there. So. if wherever you listen, there yeah. is a thing. We'd love... You well, know, then thank it. you. Yeah, thank that you. that means a lot. We'd appreciate that. Yeah. So, we appreciate you all letting us uh, take a little of your time and share the day with you. Yeah. And we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.